Well, I want to welcome everyone, whether you're joining us in person or maybe you're watching online. Honored to have you with us. Also want to take a moment, as I do every single week, and say a big hello to all the men and women joining us in our correctional ministry. We love you. We believe in you. Come on, D-Town. And we welcome our church family today. Love you guys. So good. Well, today we are in week number two of our Ten Commandments series where we are studying, you guessed it, the Ten Commandments, but, but not in a way that you might think because I don't believe that God was just giving us a, a list of rules to follow or a bunch of do's and don'ts, but instead that there's some principles behind each commandment to help us have a, a deeper relationship with God and with each other. Now, before we kind of jump into it, it's kind of a cool uh, time in our calendar year. Uh, in fact, on Thursday, the whole nation of Israel celebrated Shavuot or Shavuot, however you say that. I'm going to say it like a Caucasian white guy from uh, the U.S., but uh, you can do it however you want to. But basically, it's, it's the Feast of Weeks uh, or the, the Festival of First Fruits. And so what the nation of Israel celebrated on Thursday was the, the abundance that God has bestowed upon his people, but they also take some time to remember uh, when Moses went up Mount Sinai and God gave him the Ten Commandments. So I just think it's super cool that just a couple of days ago, the entire nation of Israel was celebrating the Ten Commandments. Not only that, but today is Pentecost Sunday. Right, seven weeks after Easter, uh, we know the Holy Spirit was poured out upon the disciples in the upper room, and they encountered the presence of God, not just on the outside, but on the inside of their hearts. How many know God's presence changes everything? And so just a super uh, awesome time in the church calendar, if you will. But as we kind of dive into these Ten Commandments today, what we're doing is we're studying two commandments each week. And some weeks, the commandments, like today, flow really well together. Other weeks, it's going to be more like a hard stop and start. And on those weeks, we are offering a two-for-one special where you get two messages for the price of one. It's an incredible deal. You're not going to want to miss it. And uh, someone asked me last week, well, how do I not miss it? Just show up. Just be here, and uh, we'll give it to you for free. It's going to be awesome. But the Ten Commandments are the beginning of God's law that he gave to his people. Uh, it's mentioned three different, three different places in the Bible, Exodus 20, then two places in the book of Deuteronomy. Me, but, but I want us to know that God's laws are not the same as man's laws. And last week we had a fun time. I gave uh, some weird uh, state laws that are still in effect in our country. And I want to do that again today because we had so much fun doing it last week. But I want us to know as we read these that these are proof that God's laws are better than man's laws. Right? You guys ready? Did you know that in Idaho, uh, cannibalism is illegal? I thought it was illegal in every state, but apparently in Idaho, they wanted to make sure that everybody knew that you need to love your neighbor, don't eat them. Um, too, too much, too much. All right, we'll move on. Uh, in Illinois, uh, the law prohibits fancy riding of any bicycle on city streets particularly removing both hands from the handlebars. Oh, babe, you're out. 
Um, or both feet <laughs> removed from the pedals, or it goes on to say in the law, or any acrobatic shenanigans. So apparently the X Games will not be happening in the state of Illinois anytime soon. In Georgia, uh, in a town called Quitman, it's illegal to allow your chickens to cross the road, which gives whole new meaning to the riddle. Why did your chick the chicken cross the road? In Maine, it's forbidden to post advertisements on another person's tombstone. Like what marketing major is like, this would be a good place. You know much, how much business we could drum up if we would do that? And like, what would you even post on there? Uh, how would you, what would you even advertise on their tombstone? Like fancy flowers, maybe? I, I don't know. And then finally today in Ohio, come on, had to get Ohio, in a small little town known as Paulding, Ohio, Police officers are allowed by law to bite a dog if they feel that it will calm the dog down. <laughs> I don't know what's happening in Paulding, but I knew they were a little like already, but I mean, God's laws are not the same as man's laws. And, and, and God's law was given, given starting with the Ten Commandments really to show us where we fall short. I like to compare God's law to a mirror. How many know a mirror shows us where our blemishes, shows us kind of where we fall short, shows us where we maybe have some dirt on our face that we need to address, but it's important for us to understand that God never intended for us to cleanse ourselves with the mirror. God never intended for us to cleanse ourselves with the law. And just as only water can cleanse us physically, how I many know only the blood of Jesus can cleanse us spiritually, right? And so the entire Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament, shows us that apart from a relationship with Jesus, we could never meet or live up to God's standard. And so the New Testament comes in 27 books, not to get rid of the law, not to get rid of the Ten Commandments, but to fulfill it. That, that Jesus came in and did what we could never do. Jesus comes in and he didn't abolish the law, but instead he helps us in order to live according to the standard of God. This is why we are studying the Ten Commandments through the, the context of, of principles that show us how to live and enhance or deepen our relationship with God and with each other. Like, like the Ten Commandments don't take away our freedom, they provide it. Like it's about a relationship with God and out of that relationship, it changes how we live. Now, just a reminder, uh, the Ten Commandments are really in two sections. The first four commandments are, are God-centered, uh, dealing with our relationship with God. But then the final six, or the last six commandments, are people-centered, dealing with our relationship with one another. And so today, we are going to study the third and fourth commandment, starting with the third commandment that's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. Let's take a look at it together. God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. In other words, how I many know God will not be mocked, the Bible says. Like there will be consequences as a result. And, and this commandment is all about the name of God. Like how I many know God's name is important because it, it symbolizes and it signifies who he is and what he's done. 
In other words, his name reflects his character. Have you ever heard the, the old saying, like, that, that person has a bad name? Or, or maybe you were referring to a family, and they're like, man, they have a, that's a good family. I've never met them, but I've heard good things about that family. Their family has a good name, or I've heard about that guy. He does not have a good name. How many of us know in that saying, they're, they're actually not talking about the name as much as they're talking about the character that's associated with that name? And names were a big deal in, in the Jewish culture because it represented a person's heritage, their character, along with the role that they played in the community and in life. For example, just a few names throughout the Bible, uh, the name Eve, right, Adam and Eve, Eve means the mother of all living or life giver. Abraham in the Bible means father of many nations, dealing with what he, he did and the role that he played and the legacy that he lived. Jesus, his name means God saves. And so throughout scripture, the name of God was synonymous with the character of God, who he is and what he's done. I also think it's important to, to point out that even in the Lord's Prayer, uh, when Jesus was teaching the disciples how to pray, he wasn't telling them what to pray, but even in the Lord's Prayer, it begins with, hallowed be thy name. And to hallow means to refer to as holy or set apart. In other words, I know God's name is separate or it's set apart from every other name on the planet. Now, now the name of God that's used throughout the, uh, the Old Testament almost 7,000 times for the name of God is the name Yahweh. And Yahweh means he who caused existence. Which is why in Exodus chapter three, we don't have time to study it uh, together today, by the way, one of the, one of the difficulties of preaching two commandments in the same message is kind of shrinking all the content down, giving you enough information for you to understand it, but not being here four and a half hours at the same time. So we don't have time to study Exodus chapter three. It's one of my favorite passages of scriptures, though, because Moses is tending to his flock on Mount Horeb, and he notices this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. And so he starts walking over to the bush, and God, if you remember, God says, hold, hold, hold up, Mo." Stop right there, bro. Take off your sandals because the place you are standing is holy ground. Like have some reverence. This, this isn't just an ordinary thing that's happening in front of you. And, and so Moses does and he approaches and this voice out of this bush, God's voice begins to call him to be a type of Christ, a deliverer to go to Egypt, to go to God's people and to go to Pharaoh and help deliver them from 430 years of slavery and oppression and bondage which he did, God parts the Red Sea, then they go across the Red Sea, and then they go get the Ten Commandments that we've been studying. But Moses is a little bit like back and forth, like I don't have what it takes to do what you're calling me to do, God. Anybody besides me ever felt like that? Like I, I had the speech problem, I, I, I stutter, when, it's really bad when I get nervous, God. And, and so then he says, well, I'll give Aaron to help you out a little bit and go to the leaders of Israel and tell them that I have sent you. And if you study this part of scripture, Moses goes, who should I tell? Like, all I know is I'm talking to a voice from a bush that's on fire that's not burning up. Like, I know you're God. I know you're, who should I tell him sent me? And God responds by saying, tell him I am that I am. 
I was, I am, and I always will be. I'm the one that caused existence. I am Yahweh. And so the principle, as we study this third commandment, the principle behind this commandment, if you're taking notes, is this. It's the principle of humility. It's the principle of humility because the Bible defines humility as the fear of the Lord. In other words, that we would have this reverence. We would have this awe. We would have this honor for who God is and what he has done. That we would bow before the King of Kings and Lord of Lords and say, he's God and we're not. How I many know we're not on his level? And so whatever he says goes. We're doing things his way. Humility is I'm bowing my heart and I'm placing myself underneath his authority, right? Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will lift you up and he will exalt you. It's this posture of the heart is, is, is the principle behind this commandment, this, this posture of humility. And so as we study this, this commandment and this principle, uh, I think it's important for us to understand that if you're taking notes, you can write this down and that is, that we, that is this, that we can take God's name in vain through what we say and by what we do. For example, we don't have time to study it, but when Israel went into exile around 594 BC, the reason why they went into exile was because they took the Lord's name in vain. But it's important for us to understand that they didn't take God's name in vain by anything that they said. They took God's name in vain by how they lived. You see, they had the name of God on them. They were known as God's people, and yet they began to worship idols and began to indulge in pagan customs and pagan rituals. And so the people uh, around them, when they would look at them, they couldn't tell a difference between the people of God and the people who didn't know God. And I want us to think about that for a moment and think about the culture and the society that we live in today. Because one of the greatest ways we take the Lord's name in vain is calling ourselves Christians and then not living like Christ. It's one of the greatest ways we take, I know we put a lot of emphasis on the cuss word aspect of it, I'll talk about that here in just a minute, but the greater aspect that we should put more focus and attention on is calling ourselves followers of Jesus and they're not living in a way that honors his name. We take God, how many Christians take God's name in vain all the time, all day, every day? Because we don't pay attention to it. And, and so it's important for us to understand that, that God says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the word take there literally means to lift up, to carry, or to bear. Don't carry my name in vain. Don't bear my name in vain. Don't lift my name up. Don't call yourself a Christian and then live in a vain, empty, worthless, or prideful way. This is, the, this is why it's the principle of humility because to call ourselves Christians and then not live in a way that would honor God is to use his name in a vain way. Now, at the same time, though, uh, we can take God's name in vain through what we say. And I do think we need to reconsider how we use God's name. Like to be so arrogant that we would curse someone in God's name or even curse something in God's name. 
This is why, once again, it's the principle of humility, to not treat God's name as common or ordinary, but to have this, this healthy fear and reverence and honor for the name of God. You know, uh, these past several summers, uh, I spent a lot of time on uh, the ball field, uh, coaching baseball and, uh, and all that, and enjoy that. My wife always jokes, like, she doesn't know if my son's playing or if I'm playing, you know? And I go, it's a little bit of both. I'm reliving my, my childhood uh, dreams. But, but a couple weeks ago, we were in a tournament, and uh, we were playing against a team, and the umpire made a questionable call in our favor, right? So I, I was fine with it. But uh, when he did, the coach from the other team lost it, and he yells out, GD it! Across the field, I mean, you could hear it on the stands. And I thought two things. One, that's a horrible example for the kids. But then I also thought, man, isn't that the height of our arrogance to use God's name like that? Like, we don't even think twice about it. Nobody even, nobody even really batted. I don't know, maybe a couple of us did, but not really anybody even batted an eye. It's just become common or ordinary to treat and use God's name like that. I mean, I'm blown away that our society has come to the point where we just take God's name and think we can curse something and use his name in a vain way. Treating God's name as common or ordinary. How I many his name is not common? It's not ordinary. It's above every single name on the planet. And as followers of Jesus, we want to honor and revere and respect his name. I mean, our words are powerful. I mean, our words matter. And, and our spiritual enemy knows that words have power and that they influence our faith, which is why he wants us to take the name and character of God so casually. I was reminded of this, Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, great passage of scripture, real simple truth, but some, a truth that we need to be reminded of, and that is the tongue has the power of life and death. Isn't it interesting how no other religions has their God's name misused? Like we don't stub our tongue and go, Muhammad. <laughs> we don't. Why? Because they're not real. And so the enemy isn't attacking their names by casually changing the view of them because he doesn't have to. They aren't important enough for the enemy to try and discredit them. How much more does it show us how important the name of God is when it's casually taken or we just flippantly say God or Jesus or Christ in such an insignificant or derogatory way? Like when we think about what God has done for us, when he loved us in some of our darkest moments, when he forgave us of some of the things that we have done, when he cleansed us from all unrighteousness, man, how could we take his name out of context? Instead, I wanna encourage us to proclaim God's name the right way. In fact, I, I think one of the best ways to honor the name that's above every single name, to honor the name of the Lord is with praise and gratitude. Praise and gratitude. In fact, just a couple of Psalms that I came across I thought were so powerful and a great reminder of some of the words that need to be on our lips. Psalms 66 verse four says, the whole earth falls to its knees. It worships you, sings to you, can't stop enjoying your name and fame. Come on, praise and worship and gratitude for the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Psalms 113 verse three says, from the rising of the sun to the place where it sets, the name of the Lord is to be praised. 
Kind of reminds me of that Maverick City worship song, right? From, I'm not going to sing it to you. I was, gonna, I was practicing last night in my office. It didn't really sound that good, I'll be honest with you. I, one dog started howling. I heard him. So... I'm going to praise you. I'm going to worship you. As followers of Jesus, that we would honor the name that's above every single name with what we say and how we live. Amen. That's, this is the principle of humility, that I'm going to humble myself in the sight of the Lord. I'm going to bow my heart before heaven, that he's God and I'm not, and I'm going to revere and respect that reality. And so I'm going to honor him with my lips and I'm going to honor him with my life. That's how we make sure we don't take God's name in vain. God says when you do that, it's actually better for you. It actually shows you how to live, and it deepens your relationship with the creator of the universe. Now let's take a look at the next commandment we're studying today, Exodus chapter 20, verses 8 through 11. Uh, Side note, this is actually the longest commandment out of the 10. God spends more words, if you will, on this commandment than any other commandment. So verse eight says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. And then he, what? He rested the seventh day. Therefore, whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you gotta make sure you understand what it's there for. In light of all that has just been said, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it, which we know he set it apart. He made it holy. And so as we study this fourth commandment, this commandment of remembering the Sabbath day, the principle behind this commandment, if you're taking notes, is this. Number two is the principle of rest. You know what's amazing about this this commandment is that Christians today believe that we should keep nine of the ten commandments, but we don't need to keep this one. I I mean, think about it. We believe that we shouldn't have any other gods but him. We believe that we shouldn't bow down and worship idols, right? We believe that we shouldn't take God's name in vain, that we should honor our father and mother, that we shouldn't lie, we shouldn't steal, we shouldn't murder, we shouldn't commit adultery, and that we shouldn't covet. Everybody agree on that? But then why would we live like this commandment is just a suggestion? Why would we treat this one different from the other Nine. And so I want to give us some, just some reasons why it's the principle that will help us to rest and that it's more than, than just a, a suggestion that, that God instituted it to deepen our relationship with him and with each other. This is a beautiful commandment. And so if you're taking notes, one of the reasons why it's a principle that will help us rest is the Sabbath. It, it gives God the opportunity to provide for us supernaturally. It gives God the opportunity when we don't work seven days a week to provide for us supernaturally. Like if it's, and if God is providing for us, how many of us know we can rest because we're not having to do everything on our own? It brings rest into our lives. I want to take a look at a, a, a passage of scripture where God is teaching this principle to his, his kids. Exodus chapter 16, verses 23 through 30. 
when he's given manna from heaven to provide for the Israelites as they wandered through the wilderness on their way to the promised land. It says, then he said to them, this, Moses speaking here, this is what the Lord has said. Tomorrow is a Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Who is the Sabbath toward? The Lord. Bake what you will bake today and boil what you will, must be having like a crawfish boil. Boil what you will boil and lay up for yourselves all that remains to be kept until morning. And so they laid it up till morning as Moses commanded and it did not stink nor were there any worms in it. That's a good thing. In other words, they went out and they gathered the manna in the morning that was on, on the ground for them to eat. It goes on to say, verse 25, then Moses said, eat that today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find rest, it, uh, you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will be none. Now it happened that some of the people went out on the seventh day to gather, and what did they find? None. None was there. And the Lord said to Moses, how long will do you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, in light of everything I just said, he gives you on the sixth day bread for two days. Let every man remain in his place. Let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. And so the people rested on the seventh day. And so what's happening in this passage of scripture is God said to only gather what, only go out for the day, each day, and gather the manna that they needed for that day. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, just go out and gather for one day. And so the people went out and they didn't trust God and they saw the manna and so they gathered as much as they could and they brought it back to camp. And what happened to it? What they did not eat when they woke up the next morning, it started to stink and have worms in it because they weren't trusting God for provision. But then on the day before the Sabbath, the sixth day, God said, go out and gather enough for two days. That way, when it comes to the seventh day, you can rest. You'll have enough to eat. You don't have to, to work, and it won't stink or have any worms in it because God is supernaturally providing for them to rest. But I want to point out verse 25 that we, that we read that God specifically said, if you go out on the, on the Sabbath, if you go out and work on the seventh day, you can do that, but you won't find God's provision on the seventh day. I want to remind us as followers of Jesus, especially for those of us who have fallen in the trap of working seven days, you can go work on the Sabbath. The only thing that's going to happen is you won't find God's provision there. You can go work. And you can do all that, but you're not, God's provision will not be there on the seventh day. God will provide enough on the sixth day for the seventh, but he's not providing on the seventh. This kind of reminds me, like, kind of reminds me of like tithing. Like God can do more with our 90% than we can do with our 100%. Like, like God can do more in six days than we can do in seven. And if you want to know what God can do in six days, look around. Look around at all of creation. How I many know oh, God can do a lot in six days? And it reminds you, you can see this great, this principle at work, even with, with uh, Christian chicken. Come on, somebody, right? Chick-fil-A. We know 
Chick-fil-A is dominating every other fast food chain restaurant. And it's not just because their chicken is amazing or that their Oreo shakes will change your life. Come on, somebody. Next time you're there and they go, Oreo shake, you want the whipped cream and cherry? Absolutely not. I want you to fill it up as high as you can with Oreo shake. You, you keep the whipped cream and the cherry. I want more shake. Come on, somebody. I just hooked you up. All right? It's not just, they're, not, they're not dominating every other fast food chain restaurant because of their chicken and Oreo shakes, as good as they are, but because they're putting this principle of rest to practice in their business. Did you know that the average fast food restaurant uh, brings in a million dollars a year? Now, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays, which they say uh, the reason is, you can go read about it, the reason why they closed on Sundays is to give their employees a day of rest and worship. Come on, somebody. I would tell us that's a good enough reason to go to Chick-fil-A right now and support them, but they're closed. <laughs> Which is a great thing, kind of. It is, it is, right? But the, but the other fast food places, they stay open seven days a week. And what's interesting about this is that they say Sunday is the most profitable day of the entire week. And so uh, strategically, it's not the day you would want to be closed. But did you know that, that each Chick-fil-A store averages $5 million a year? Five times as much as the ones who work seven days a week. Why? Because God's not providing on the seventh day. Because he's providing on the six days and he can do more in the six days than we can do on our seven days, right? And if this is true in business and this is true in work, come on, it's true in our lives too. And so the Sabbath gives God the opportunity to provide for us supernaturally. I mean, we don't have to do it all on our own. The second thing I want to know about the Sabbath is that it gives us the opportunity to rest and be refreshed. I know God made the earth in six days and then he did what? He rested. Here's a question we can ask ourselves. Do we think God needed the rest? Do you think like God was just so exhausted after those six days, he had nothing left in the tank. He's like, I just, I need a break. Or just maybe from the beginning of time, God was teaching us this principle of how to live and how to know him in a greater way and to deepen our relationships with one another. I would suggest that God was modeling this principle of rest for us. God rested and he was refreshed. He rested and he was refreshed. And the word refreshed literally means to take a breath. In other words, God created for six days and then he rested. He took a breath on the seventh. Well, how did God create? He spoke the heavens and the earth in existence. And on the seventh day, he took a breath. Have you ever made that statement? Let me just catch my breath. And God says, I, I, I absolutely want you to catch your breath. In fact, I created one day every single week for you to pause, for you to rest, to be refreshed, and to take a breath. And there's just something that happens when we choose to rest in God's provision and his presence and in his principles. Like in, as we honor this Sabbath, we're acknowledging that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his thoughts are, are higher than our thoughts, that God's ways are better. 
Like when we cease to produce, when we, when we cease to perform, when we cease from striving, we're saying we, that we trust in God more than we trust in ourselves. That God can do more with less than we can do on our own. Sabbath is returning to the reality that he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got your mother and your father in his hands, right? He's got the whole world in his hands, not us. And we trust and rely upon him. The Sabbath is us taking a step back and saying, God, I trust you more than I trust myself. I honor you. And watch what it does in your life. How many of us know there are some, some blessings that come with, with resting and remembering the Sabbath? And then there are some consequences that come with not remembering the Sabbath. And I just want to give us a couple uh, today to, to think about, starting with some consequences that happen when we don't rest. I thought it was interesting that if you study the Old Testament, there was four things God's people could be put to death for. I know we're not in the Old Testament anymore, but just wanted to give them to you today to, to think about. Four things that, that could be put to death for. Uh, one was murder. Sounds like a good thing. Uh, not keeping the Sabbath, adultery, and rebellious children. And if you have any rebellious parents, if you have any rebellious children in here, just go ahead and look them right now and just tell them if this was the Old Testament, you wouldn't be here. Just let them know. You are lucky, son. We are not in the Old Testament. You'd be gone. You wouldn't be sitting here. That's a, that's a, that's a sermon for another day, right? But not keeping the Sabbath. Why was, why was not keeping the Sabbath taken so seriously? Well, remember the principle behind each commandment. Think about this. Are we working ourselves to death by not resting one day a week? Let me ask it like this. Are we killing our marriages by not, work, not resting one day a week? Are we killing our families, our friendships, our souls by not resting one day a week? I think it's important for us to understand that, that we don't work to rest, we rest then work. I mean, we all battle that mentality. It's like, if I could just get to this, then I could take a breath. If I could just get to the end, then I could rest. That's not how God intended it. That's actually not how God set it up, that we would rest, then work. I mean, if you think about even, even when does a day begin? A lot of times we think the day begins when we wake up, right? The alarm goes off, we're up, our day begins. But when does the day actually begin? At midnight, right? At midnight. And what are most people, not all, but most people doing at midnight? They're resting. Your day begins while you're resting. Then you wake up rested. Then you work, right? You rest, then you work. When does the Sabbath take place? On the first day of the calendar week. It's not the end. It's the beginning. That way we would start our day with rest. Then we would run into the work week and handle everything that we need to handle as parents, as husbands, as wives, as employees, in our careers, every, as followers of Jesus, that we would, we would work from a rested place. How many of us have worked from a depleted place trying to get to a place of rest? Why? Because maybe we've lost sight of this principle of rest, this commandment that God has given to us, that we would spend time with God, enjoying one another. Then out of the overflow of the Sabbath, we would actually produce more in our lives. How many of us, besides me, you're a better husband when you're rested? Don't leave me hanging, fellas, right now. I'll jump off this stage. <laughs> Ladies, how many, you're a better wife. You're a better mother. Come on. I know I'm a better parent when I'm rested. When I'm depleted, shut up! 
right? I'm joking, that never, has never happened, ever. But you just, I'm arrested, I'm annoyed, I'm frustrated. Come on, I'm a better employee when I'm rested. I'm a better follower of Jesus when I'm rested. But when I'm depleted, and there's consequences when we don't rest. But at the same time, there's blessings when we do rest. And as we close today, I wanna study this passage of scripture, Mark chapter two, starting in verse 23. It says, this on the Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. But the Pharisees, the religious leaders said to Jesus, look, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? And Jesus said to them, well, haven't you read in the Old Testament, the scriptures, what David did when he was and his companions were hungry, he went into the house of God during the days of uh, Abathar, uh, or Abathar, or Ubathar, Erikabar, who was the high priest. <laughs> hey, I'm not the only one, right? Am I? <laughs> the A guy, and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. He also gave some to his companions. You're like, what's happening? Why is Jesus going here? Verse 27 tells us. Then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And other, other versions say that, that, that God did, didn't create man, you know, the Sabbath for man, created man for the Sabbath. Am I saying that right? I messed that all up, didn't I? It just was in my head. I was like, he created the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath. Come on, somebody. That was off the cuff. Wasn't in my notes. Right? It's a gift. It's a gift that God has given to us. It's not about being legalistic. Like, we don't serve the Sabbath. Man, God made the Sabbath to serve us. It's a gift to enhance our relationship with him and also to enhance our relationships with each other. Like, we should have a principle of Sabbath and rest in our lives. Now, over time, Sabbath has been made into this, this something that's just super religious, but, but the Sabbath isn't religious, it's relational. There's a beauty in, in the Sabbath. God is saying, spend time with me. Take a break from the busyness of life. Spend time with the people that you love. The Sabbath is a principle as much as it is a practice. It's something that we value because we've seen the benefits of it. You know, when we visited Israel five, six years ago, we were blown away by how the, the Jewish people, to this day, every single week, um, honored the Sabbath. Like the day before the Sabbath, like the markets are flooded. People are everywhere, they're buying two, two portions. So that when on the Sabbath, they don't have to work, they don't have to cook, they don't have to do anything. And then on the Sabbath, the entire city shuts down. Gas stations, like restaurants, you can't go, because they're all at home with their families, enjoying one another. And we were super impacted by this, seeing this. Not only just honoring the Lord, but seeing the fruit of it in their families and in their lives every single week. In fact, the, the Israelis have this saying, I wanna read it to you. I said, over the years, after all these generations, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, which, which is just the Hebrew word for Sabbath or rest, more than Israel has kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept Israel. In other words, going, 
after all these centuries and decades of week after week after week after week, honoring the Sabbath, remembering the goodness of our God, celebrating it with our friends and our family every single week, we realize when we haven't kept the Sabbath, the Sabbath has kept us. They see the benefits and the blessings. So we came home five years ago, and for the past five years, we've been celebrating Shabbat or Sabbath on Friday nights. And we have, it's like Thanksgiving at our house on, on Friday nights. I mean, we have a big old spread this past, this past Friday night. We had friends over and their kids. And, and it, usually when someone has a birthday close to uh, that Shabbat, we always take time to just go around the table and speak uh, just a word of affirmation over them. So this past Shabbat was my son, uh, Jace. He's getting ready to turn 14. And so we just went around the table. He said, but you know what I love about Jace? This. You know what I love about Jace? I love this. Jace, I love this about you. And then we laid hands on him. We prayed a blessing over them, over him. And then we prayed for some that we knew were just struggling in their health and just spoke a blessing over them. Then we took time to just take communion. We just pray, thank you, God. It, was it perfect? Was my little seven-year-old running around? Yeah, were, were one of their little kids crushing cookies all over the floor? Was my dog barking during half the time? Did I kick the dog? Maybe. All on Shabbat. I don't want to paint a picture like it was this perfect spiritual, we all floated around on clouds. We're just people, right? But we're just taking time to remember the goodness of our God, celebrate with friends and family, invite the presence of God into our hearts and our lives. And then we took communion together and we prayed and we ate this big old spread, chicken kebabs. Come on, somebody. Girl, those were good. Let's do that again. We just, and then we sat around the table and the kids went out and played a wiffle ball game. And we just sat around, we laughed and we just enjoyed. You know what we did? You know what we did, church? We took a breath. We just took a breath. And we remembered the goodness of God in our lives. And we remembered our family and our friends. And we rested and it was awesome. And Israel's going, we do this every week. And we've been doing it every week for the past five years. And I'm telling you, my family's better. My marriage is better. My soul is better. And so a lot of people ask the question, what do you do on the Sabbath? I think we're asking the wrong question. The question is, what do we not do? We don't do any work on the, on, on the Sabbath. We take a break from work. We can answer those emails later. We can return that phone call later. We put it down and we rest and we remember the goodness of God. We spend time with our family and the people that we love. And what do we do? We, we take a breath every single week. It's this principle of rest, this principle of humility, honoring the name of God. And the beautiful, I'll close with this thought. The beautiful thing about the gospel is that, that Christ took our punishment, didn't he? On the cross. And I'm grateful because I've broken more than one commandment, more than one time but Christ took our punishment and the commandments were given by grace. I think it's important to point out that God didn't give the 10 commandments to, to the nation of Israel when they were in bondage in Egypt in slavery and said, if you just straighten up, if you do this list and you get it right and you start behaving, getting your act together, then I'll deliver you. That's not what happened. He delivered his people from slavery, oppression, and bondage, and then their enemies drowned in the Red Sea. And then after he saved them by grace, he gave them some principles to help them have a better relationship with him and with each other. That's the Ten Commandments. And they, they were for the people of, of God back then, and they were for us now. Amen? Would you pray with me?
Father, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for the truth of your word and how it was relevant 2,000 years ago and it's relevant to our lives today. And Father, we just come before you today and our hope and our prayer is, how do you want us to respond to the message? Can we pray that right where you're at, church? Holy Spirit, how do you want me to respond to the message today? Where have I treated your name as common or ordinary? Where have I called myself a follower of Jesus but not honored you with the way that I lived? Speak, Lord, we're listening. Where have we let the busyness of life take the place of this command to have a day of rest, to honor the Sabbath? Holy Spirit, show us how we can apply the truth of your word to our lives. Because we, we don't want to just be hearers of your word, we want to be doers. And as we're praying together today, maybe, maybe you're here and you would just say, your life doesn't live up to being a follower of Jesus. Maybe, maybe you don't, if you've never had a relationship with God, or maybe you walked with him at one point in time, I want to give you an opportunity to make the best decision that I ever made with my life. Where I came before God and said, here's my heart, here's my life. I want to love you. I want to know you. I want to serve you. I want to follow you. I'm done doing things my way. Here's my heart. If you need to make that decision today, because maybe you're tired of trying to do life on your own or make it happen, or you've known about God, but today is time to know him and have a relationship with him. With every head bowed, every eye closed, if that's you, would you lift your hand to heaven? Maybe you're watching online right now and you need to say, here's my life, God. And right where you're at, would you just pray this prayer? We say, God, thank you for your love that never fails. Thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to pay the price for my sin on the cross. Here's my life. God, forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. Show me how to live. My life is yours. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, let's give God some praise for all I did today. So good.